Welcome to the fourth season of Version 20 Podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you are a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is part two of the Sonia Herrickstone murder case. Meanwhile, investigators spoke to Michael's neighbors. The Californian reported that some recalled that Michael didn't appear to be home that morning. One said his truck was gone, while another saw him drive away mid-morning. Detective Lenz clarified that this wasn't a neighbor, but rather a carpenter working in a nearby house who saw Michael leave around 11 a.m. Michael offered up another alibi for the scratch on his face, saying he'd come to a woman's defense who was being harassed by four men at the college. Detective Linz tracked down the woman and learned that the story was not true. Investigators spoke with Michelle Wilson, a longtime friend of Michael's. Mickey, as she was called, confided to her best friend that Michael had told her he'd been in Sonia's home the morning she was killed and that they'd had sex. Turns out her best friend was an investigator for the district attorney. She, in turn, told Detective Linz. He shared that during his investigation, he discovered Mickey was more than just Michael's friend. She was his ex-girlfriend and was having an affair with him and didn't want her husband to find out. Mickey agreed to talk to Detective Linz, provided he did not take notes and did not record it. So he had a witness present each time he spoke with her. During a three-hour interview in which his supervisor was present, Mickey admitted to the affair. Another discussion was witnessed by the prosecutor. It was reported in the media that detectives interviewed numerous people, then over the following days typed up their reports. Afterwards, they discarded their notes. Detective Linz told us the media got it wrong. He explained that he never typed his notes, rather he wrote an outline. Then once he dictated them, he destroyed the outlines, not his notes. The media also reported that the test results came back and the blood under Sonia's fingernails was determined not to be hers. But in fact, Detective Lynn shared that the blood type came back a combination of Sonia's and Michael's. But with only a 72% match to Michael, it wasn't enough for a conviction. Then in July 1982, nine months after her murder, Michael was arrested and charged with Sonia's murder. A preliminary hearing was held to determine if there was sufficient evidence to bring Michael to trial. Eventually, 
a trial date was set to begin the following summer. Detective Lane shared that Sonia's parents and sister were instrumental in bringing her case to trial. They often made the trip from Canada to California, and Detective Lynn's joined the family on their visit to the district attorney's office, where they demanded justice for Sonia. Over the next year, four different judges wrote numerous items of evidence. Michael's defense filed a motion to have his admission about being in Sonia's house and the blood and hair samples he voluntarily provided thrown out saying that detectives brought him in under the pretext of the traffic arrest so that they could question him about the murder. The first judge denied the request, but later another judge granted their motion, declaring that when Michael was arrested, his rights were violated, and that tainted the evidence. In June 1983, the judge dismissed the case saying the investigative methods were underhanded and illegal. The district attorney's office wasn't deterred. They felt they had it right, and a month later filed murder charges for a second time against Michael. Detectives obtained a search warrant for hair and blood samples from Michael, but were unable to get a new statement. He was now refusing to talk to them. They still had Mickey's statement that put him in Sonia's house. In November 1983, Michael went on trial in the Monterey County Superior Court in front of a jury of four women and eight men. Michael's defense lawyer claimed that he'd play softball the day of the murder and pointed out that investigators had failed to contact any of his teammates to ask if they'd noticed a scratch on his face. Detective Linz clarified that this was because this was the first time detectives had heard about this new alibi. This was now Michael's fifth explanation as to how he got the scratch. The media reported that Michael's lawyer questioned evidence technician at the sheriff's office, who under oath admitted that although the records indicated a piece of evidence had been delivered, to a criminalist at the Department of Justice, 25 miles away in Salinas, it was later discovered in the sheriff's evidence locker. Detective Linz informed us that there never was any such testimony and that all the evidence was tested by a private lab, not the Department of Justice. Time was a factor that neither side agreed on. The prosecution said Sonia could have been home by 10.45 a.m. The defense argued she could have returned home as late as 11 a.m. The media reported that Michael's father testified that he stopped by his son's home at 11.10 a.m. and noticed Michael removing clothing from his home. But Detective Lynn's reports that was incorrect. Michael's father actually testified that he came home at his house and was surprised he'd see Michael doing laundry rather than doing laundry at his own home. The media presented witness testimony as being all over the place and disjointed. It was reported that Michael's father and mother both testified 
that they went to their son's softball game the day of the murder and watched him play. Then afterwards, spent the evening with Michael and his wife and denied that he had a scratch on his face. Detective Linz points out that, in fact, it was the opposite. Michael's mother testified that they did not see their son that day as they'd gone away for the weekend, and when they returned, they did notice a scratch on his face and that Michael explained he'd gotten into a fight at college. A fight that Detective Linz discovered did not happen. During the trial, it was reported that the bar owner testified that she could not identify Michael as being in the bar that night, even though a report said she had. The media made it appear as if she'd done a 180 on the stand, but in fact, Detective Lynn's report stated that she never identified Michael. It was the media that got it wrong. It was also reported that two neighbors denied making statements the way they were reported, when in fact, no neighbors actually testified to this. The media reported that conflicting reports by a forensic serologist who testified said that he found no evidence of sexual assault. Detective Linz corrects this, saying that wasn't true. Rather, the serologist testified that he found no evidence of semen. The San Francisco coroner explained that samples taken from Sonia's body were not tested for semen, only saliva. Under a black light, areas of Sonia's body glowed, meaning the saliva fluoresced, and that bruises on her body indicated she had been assaulted. The media reported that a doctor in the emergency room at the local hospital testified that the scratch on Michael's face was not consistent with coming from a fingernail. When in fact, the doctor testified that it was consistent. Again, the media got it wrong. The media also reported that Mickey testified she'd never made a statement about Michael being at Sonia's that morning and that Detective Linz had lied. Detective Linz sheds additional light on this, that it was Mickey who lied on the stand because she didn't want her husband to know about her affair with Michael. Mickey's best friend, the investigator for the district attorney's office, testified as to Mickey's original statement. A week into the trial, the jury was deadlocked, with only three vying for guilty and nine in favor of an acquittal. The judge dismissed the jury, and the district attorney decided to dismiss the case. The district attorney still believed in Michael's guilt, but new further prosecution at this point would not end with a guilty conviction. This meant there was no double jeopardy and the door was left open for a new trial. In California, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Detective Linz interviewed the jury afterwards and they revealed that if they could have placed Michael in the house, they would have convicted him. But unfortunately, the judge before the trial had thrown out that evidence. 
Michael continued to work during the hearings and the trial and told the media that he didn't think it would hurt his reputation. Afterwards, his life continued on. He moved 10 miles away and for the next 39 years, continued to live in Monterey County. He became a bus driver at the high school, an umpire for youth softball and baseball, and coached football. Detective Lynn's revealed that in 2009, Sonia's left ring fingernail was tested for DNA, but nothing came of it. Then in 2020, Monterey County formed a Coles Case Task Force and along with the Sheriff's Office, took another look at Sonia's case. Evidence taken from Sonia and the crime scene had been preserved, including her left ring fingernail and a swab from her chest. Forensics had advanced greatly, and they were sent for DNA testing. Meanwhile, they obtained a search warrant for Michael's DNA. Sonia hailed from Montreal before she moved to California, and the Canadian press followed her case. An investigation by W5 at CTV News featured police audio of Michael being pulled over at a traffic light as he was heading to work. It was March 16, 2021. You can hear the wail of the police siren. Michael's driver's window was open as Detective Wilson walked up to his car. The detective introduced himself and asked him to turn his engine off, then explained that he'd picked up Sonia's cold case and said, Back in the 80s, I know you were one of the only people that they looked at seriously. I've taken a fresh look at the case, and I'm doing what I can to solve this case. And it's also really important for me to not just catch the person who did it, but to eliminate anybody who isn't involved. And I think that might be you. So I have a search warrant for your DNA. He then removed a swab from its sealed package and handed it to Michael and instructed him to put it on the inside of your cheek and rub it up and down. We'll do one side of the cheek, then the other. Rub it for 10, 15 seconds. Then the detective told him, you're free to go. Then added, homicide cases never close, so we try to stay open-minded and asked him if there was something Michael knew that could help. He replied, the police knew who did it and inferred it was Sonia's ex-husband. The detective then asked if he knew Sonia and Michael replied, no. The detective delved further, asking, You never met the person? Michael said, Never even met her. They continued their conversation, discussing Michael's service in the Navy. The detective then expertly diverts the conversation back to Sonia. Did you even know her at all? Michael again says no. After a few minutes of small talk, Michael tells him he has to get to work. The detective tells him to have a good day and thanked him for his time. In August of 2021, 40 years after Sonia's murder, the DNA tests on the evidence came back, and this time, 
The result, stated the DNA, was in the quadrillions that had belonged to Michael. Detective Lins, who was now retired, became involved in the case again. It was Saturday, August 21st, when detectives donned their Levi blue jeans in memory of Sonia and set out to arrest Michael. Officers had his home under surveillance and around 8 p.m. followed him when he left his home driving his car. Just down the road, he was pulled over and arrested. He did not seem surprised. Once again, Michael was booked into the Monterey County Jail and charged with Sonia's murder for the third time. He pled not guilty. His bail was set at $1 million. The community, students, and staff at the high school were in shock and disbelief. In 2022, Detective Linz testified at Michael's preliminary hearing, and Michael went to trial in January 2023. Detective Linz testified over three days. On the eighth day, the jury found Michael guilty of first-degree murder, use of a deadly weapon, and rape. Prison bars finally slammed shut on Michael. In June, 67-year-old Michael was sentenced to life with no parole. It took almost 42 years to get justice for Sonia. It is with the dedication of law enforcement and the preservation of evidence and the advancement of new technologies that Cole's case killers are being brought to justice. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Elliot Roger. Standing on the red carpet amongst Hollywood's elite, Elliot felt invisible. Growing up, he never fit in and saw himself as weak and worthless. No one knew the carnage he would one day enact when those he perceived had wronged him. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Verbal Planet for use of their music sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.